Hello and welcome to Clout, a podcast profiling Australia's future leaders in Asia. I'm Lucy Duke. And I'm Brodie Burns-Williamson. Thanks for joining us. Each week, we talk to Aussies making an impact in their community to learn about the dash of language, the pinch of culture, and the blind luck that led them to where they are today. We ask our guests to take us on their journey to Asia capability by sharing with us their choice of food, song, show, and person to help us understand what being an Aussie with clout is all about. My guest today is Christopher Kong, founder of Data Hero Network, a company that helps organizations build data capability, identify business use cases, and recruitment to find data talent. Chris is a pioneer on data transformation and understanding consumer behavior with 18 years of in-market experience in Australia, Singapore, and China, where he held leadership positions at Danone, Nielsen, and Cadbury. Chris and I met when I first moved to Shanghai in 2014 through the University of Melbourne's alumni network and connected through our shared experience growing up in Melbourne and navigating the metropolis that was the city of Shanghai. As an Asian Australian who has spent 14 years in China, Chris is passionate about deepening mutual understanding between Australia and China by increasing interaction between people. And in 2020, Chris was recognized as one of the 40 under 40 most influential Asian Australians. Welcome, Chris. A pleasure to be here, Lucy. Wow, hard to believe it's been eight years since we met. That's awesome. Wow. You were one of the first people I met in Shanghai. One of the most longstanding expats I knew in Shanghai as well. When I first moved, I actually remember you giving me advice about navigating the city and what it was like to live in Shanghai. Did you take any of the advice, Lucy? None of it. Okay. (laughs) That's why you lasted the distance and uh, had a great time there. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's a good place to start, I think. What prompted your move to China? Yeah, actually it was the two C's. So chocolate and Confucius. So chocolate in the sense that I was working for a chocolate company. Mm-hmm. I started working for a chocolate company in Australia, uh, spent a few years in Singapore and then got transferred to the China branch. So mm-hmm. on the one hand, it was a career move with chocolate, but on the other hand, it was related to Confucius. Interesting. Well, for our first nomination today, you have picked chocolate. Do you want to tell us a little bit more on, on that choice? Sure. Well, after studying economics and law at university, I uh, chocolate was my first job as a graduate. It was totally not on the radar. You know, working for a chocolate company wasn't in the short list of options, mm-hmm. but as fate would have it, so I, I ended up working for a chocolate company in Australia. Cadbury? Cadbury, yeah, Cadbury. I was working in the regional head office, so the Asia headquarters of Cadbury, which happened to be based in Melbourne at that Mm. time. I remember one Friday afternoon quite fondly, my boss's boss came to my desk and asked me, Chris, what do you think about helping to to start up our Asia headquarters in Singapore? And I thought, oh, yeah, that sounds Mm -hmm. pretty interesting. And he said, super. Well, 
the big, big boss is going to call you within an hour and he wants to know yes or no. Wow. Yeah. So then uh, after speaking to my parents, I took that call. And then within a week, I was on a one-way ticket to Singapore. Amazing. And how long were you there? I stayed there about three years in Singapore, mm-hmm. working in the wonderful world of chocolate. And afterwards, you moved to China. Yeah. So then moved to China with the same company, with the same chocolate company to Beijing. And that was just before the Olympics. So that was an exciting time to be around. Wow. So 2007. Yep. That's interesting. I mean, you spent, if I do my calculations correctly, 14 years in China Mm. total. Yeah. How, I mean, did did chocolate keep you in in China? That's the question. Was it (laughs) 14 years? I think chocolate got me to China, but I think uh, other things kept me there. I would say two main things kept me there. I think Mm. from a career angle, it was work related to data and data analytics Mm -hmm. that I kind of got into. That's sort of one reason that kept me there. When I first moved to China, everyone always said, Chris, we don't have enough data here. And and the data that we do have is unreliable. We can't use it. So when I first moved there in 2007, that was a very common phrase. Mm -hmm. But then within a small number of years, as China digitalized and everyone went mobile, that changed dramatically Mm. to the point that there was more data than anywhere else in the world. And traditional companies such as a, a chocolate company or other consumer goods companies were started investing big time behind new capabilities. Mm-hmm. And I ended up actually later on working in baby formula, infant milk formula for another company there and, and started to build uh, technical data teams. So teams of d- data analysts, data engineers, data scientists, and leveraging their amazingly unique skill set to apply to business. Yeah, so I think that was a great journey. I think, yeah, so data as a theme was one of the real big things that kept me in China. And I think the second other thing was just around being in the place, being mm-hmm. in China at a time where China was becoming you know, more prominent on the world stage mm-hmm. and just being in a rapidly changing environment and society was kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think I can relate to that rapid rate of change and that growth that you feel when you live, you know, especially in a big city like Shanghai and, and I'm sure in other cities as well. You know, I always remember when I came back to visit my parents in Melbourne and staying with them, which is the same place that I grew up at school nothing changes. The subway and the pizza place around the corner has been there for the last 20 years. Whereas in Shanghai, if you don't, you know, kind of go to the same street in a month's time, often places change and are unrecognizable. Totally. Great call. Mm. I felt the same way. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Well, our next nomination is for song. Can you tell us what song you've picked today? Okay, so the song I've picked, I wouldn't say it's my favourite, but it's one that I think fits a couple of themes, is I Want to Know What Love Is by Foreigner. Nice. Why did you choose this song? Yeah, why did I choose that song? Well, first of all, the artist, Foreigner, I think relates to the fact that when I was based in Asia and based in China, 
I felt both within and without. So I felt both a foreigner in based there, but also I felt a connection given that I am ethnically Chinese. So I think that's one aspect of identity that I, yeah, I've, I've actually, I would say as part of an ongoing journey of being discovering more about myself mm. and you know as it relates to the song title i want to know what love is i think that's i mean i'm an idealist who believes in true love you know still searching for my life partner but i think that captures that aspect of of my identity as well yeah i like that well why don't we take a listen to a bit of the song nomination that you've given us is for movie and you have picked the godfather which Mm. i'm going to profess i have not seen and i'm sure i'm one of the very few people who still hasn't seen it Um, shame on you lucy Mm. (laughs) shame on me adding it to my list tell us why you chose this movie well, I chose this movie for a few reasons. One, it's one of my favourite films, a classic. Uh, the second is that the first time I saw this film was actually in as part of the Shanghai International Film Festival. Wow. So the film was shown in a very old, grandiose, you know, theatre. And so it was quite a, a wonderful environment, an amazing film. The other reason I chose this film was because I think it illustrates the importance of people relationships uh, and people networks as part of one's life. Can you elaborate a bit more on how that was relevant to your time in China? Sure. Well, if if I think about my career, I spent times working in, you know, different organisations, different companies. And each time the opportunities arose in quite interesting ways. Mm. Um, And what I mean by that is I actually never, confession, I never successfully applied for a job in my whole life. Wow. And actually I kind of wear that as a badge of honour because I feel that when you interact with people and connect with people, then I think good things come about. So one of the principles I really believe in is around giving before taking. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, some people around me really hate the notion of networking because it they feel it's a lot about, you know, meeting some a new person, trying to use them for something. Mm-hmm. I actually look at it. I used to feel that way as well. I can relate to that. Uh, but I adjusted my mindset towards networking from this idea of using someone else to an idea of helping each other to win. And so I think by giving value to someone else first as as an initial step, uh, I think that sets a platform for potentially a a, a lovely win-win relationship to form. What do you think about that, Lucy? Mm, I agree. I think when it comes to 
networking and relationships, it's been genuine and authentic and that is really to be able to show, you know, like you say, about giving. It's showing your true self and being a bit more vulnerable and giving before, I guess, that expectation of getting something in return. And it's much mm. less transactional. And in, in China, the concept of guanxi is very prominent. And for as people who are used to networking and relationship building in the West, you know, in Australia or you know, other parts outside of Asia and in China, often mm. I found, you know, and myself included, there's a lot of confusion or fear of what guanxi is and how you build guanxi in China. And it's this you know, very foreign concept, but it's really no different to networking as we know it. I'm curious to, to hear if you had observed any similarities or differences between the way that relationships are built um, and formed in China and in Asia versus in Australia now that you've spent a couple of years back here? Mm, okay. I think the, the term that comes to mind is long game, which I think is uh, a similar idea to what you mentioned in, in sort of juxtaposed to a transaction. So more long game, less transactions. The idea that relationships can be formed to create win-win value and win-win benefit mm. over the long term as opposed to a short-term benefit through a transaction. I think that's kind of the notion that comes to my mind. And it's a different concept, but it's also very relatable. Who likes to be around that person who's always asking for something mm. without giving anything? No one really naturally likes to be around that type of person, particularly if you don't even know that person that well. Yeah. And so why be that person? Instead, be that person who gives something first. Actually, you're making yourself vulnerable by doing that because you may not receive anything in return and that's the way it goes. But in some cases, strong relationships can flourish from that. Yeah, absolutely. And just take, bringing it back to your experience working with consumers, both Chinese and, and non-Chinese consumers, how do you see the concept or, of relationships and networks to play a role in understanding or you know, getting through to consumers in China and driving business outcomes? Mm. I think there's something that we are seeing not only in China but around the world that can be linked to this idea of networks and advocacy. So a traditional model, a business model of engaging consumers was around paying for advertising to communicate a message to consumers who then would ideally you know, purchase a product at some point. Mm -hmm. But I think the developments in many markets have really shifted towards satisfying existing customers, mm. creating a superior experience so that customers overly satisfied with the experience they're having. Mm. And then based on that positive experience, advocating on behalf of the brand. 
So as an example, I've spent several years working in an infant milk formula company. Mm-hmm. Mothers are a great example of this. Yes. When mothers use a baby-related product that they love, they talk about it. When mothers use a baby product that they hate, they also talk about it. Yeah. And so I think this situation really represents the importance of engaging and satisfying existing customers to spread the word on your behalf and find new customers. Yeah, that's yeah, some great insights. Thank you. Last but not least, your nomination for a person of clout. Who have you picked for us today? So I've picked one of my first bosses in China, a man called Gregory Zhang. So he was one of my bosses during my time in Beijing. Mm-hmm. And I picked him as my person of clout because he led a very interesting career. His career also was focused on consumer goods, but he had worked in different types of organizations, three main types. So one being a multinational company, mm. another being a Chinese privately owned company, mm-hmm. and a third being a Chinese state-owned company. So he has shared with me lots of great informative perspectives on the few similarities and the many differences among these three you know, types of companies. Amazing. So Gregory was actually one of the people I recently interviewed as part of my podcast, Lucy. No way. Yes, yes. So, Tell us um, about your podcast. Okay, so the podcast is called China Micmac, uh, okay. M-I-C-M-A-C. Through this podcast, the intention is to help people to understand China through its people. So I chat with different people from different walks of life, uh, different Chinese people, uh, to talk about their stories, their attitudes, and their life based in China. The overall objective is really that through a micro lens of real people and real stories, that the audience will gain a macro understanding about China uh, beyond the news headlines. I love that. I love that. We'll definitely include the details of the podcast in the show notes. And it sounds like very similar to this show, to Clout, where we're telling the stories of real Australians with Mm -hmm. lived experiences in China and in Asia. Mm. I think it's really great that there's more shows and more stories being told of these different types of people. I'd love for maybe you can tell us one thing that you've seen so far in your interviews that might be surprising for for us listening to these stories. Mm. The current series of the podcast is really focusing on the Chinese consumer sector. So speaking with different people who are working in things related to Chinese consumers. One of the people I interviewed was also called Chris, a female Chris, and she's Shanghainese. So in the podcast with her, one of the things I try to capture in the podcast is not just their insights about Chinese consumers, but also their personal story. Just as you, Lucy, in your podcast here, I think that's one of the wonderful things that you do in digging in behind people's stories. So one of the, the topics I was speaking to Chris about was... Uh, I was asking her about the stereotype of a Shanghainese person and whether she fit that or not. I found her response fascinating because she, from her point of view, there was not one type of 
Shanghainese person, which, yeah, I think many, many people feel, oh, yeah, there's one type of Shanghainese person, in particular, one type of Shanghainese female person. But she brought a view that, you know, there were many different shades of Shanghainese person, just like there are many shades of Chinese people, and by extension, many shades of Chinese consumers. I personally find it odd when many commentators talk about the Chinese consumer, mm-hmm. as if there was a way to distill the lives, behaviours and attitudes of more than a billion people into one persona. Uh, and so, yeah, that's one of the areas that we're really looking to unpack uh, as part of this podcast. Mm, I love that. I think that's great. To end, I think perhaps I have two questions. The first is about, again, your time working in China, which you know spans over a decade and working with Chinese consumers, you know, as an, an Asian Australian, so I guess not fitting in that demographic of an, a Chinese consumer with Chinese being your second language as well. You know, what were some of the challenges that you faced working for companies that had a direct target of reaching and being effective, you know, in terms of marketing and understanding Chinese consumers? I actually think curiosity is really the main ingredient Mm. to understanding a consumer, whether that be a Chinese consumer or a different type of consumer. Mm. I actually think that uh, coming from a different cultural background, which may be similar or different or is not a significant barrier, but not having a curiosity to ask questions, to observe would be a main barrier. So I think in my case, having many elements that were similar based on my ethnic Chinese background, but also some areas of background and experiences that are different. I was very hungry, curious to learn about the people around me, to spend time in the field, in people's homes, observing people, you know, with their permission, asking them questions and not just consumers, but the people. I mean, I also made it a real point to maintain a broad, diverse range of of friends uh, when I was in China. I think that helped too. So I think curiosity would be the, the one element that I think would be the main instigator of Mm. discovering consumer insight. Yeah, makes sense. And lastly, you know, Chris, you've moved back to Australia and back in Melbourne now. Can you reflect on one or more aspects of your Asia journey and how it's helped you to be impactful in what you're doing now? It's so directly relevant to what I'm doing now. So my time in Asia was spent working in different companies, working for different companies and learning and contributing a lot related to the field of data analytics. What I'm doing now in Australia is actually my own business called Data Hero Network. And as you pointed out in the beginning, we help companies to build data capability through consulting and recruitment services. So the creation of this business is only possible based on the richness of the experiences that I had in Asia, working at a time where the availability of data was increasing exponentially. 
the appetite to use data was also increasing and the results, the positive results uh, that businesses were realizing was also increasing. So I think I'm really grateful for the experience that I had in Asia, both from a societal level as well as from a career level in, in steering me towards tapping into this field of data analytics. Amazing. That's an excellent place to end. Thank you very much, Chris, for sharing your story and your insights with us today at Clout. We tell the stories of Australians and their journey in leveraging their Asian capability in building Clout and making a unique impact in their community. So very excited to follow you on your startup journey and to keep hearing you share some of those unique stories through your podcast and other mediums. Thanks so much for the kind invitation, Lucy. You are certainly a person of clout and congrats on all that you do in bridging Australia and Asia. 